Welcome to episode 7 of 7 Million Bikes, season 2. Thank you to all the regular listeners. I hope you're enjoying this season. If you're a new listener, um, please go back, check us out, 7millionbikes.com or anywhere where you can get podcasts and listen to the previous episodes. Um, I interview people who live in Saigon, who have got interesting stories to tell, like everyone does, and we talk about kind of their backstory, how they've ended up here, what they do now, and we try and talk about Saigon as well. So today my guest is a chef, a restaurateur. He's the owner of El Camino, which is celebrating its second birthday very soon. And also Dos Amigos, which is the newest addition to the Zuan Tui foodie scene in Tao Dien. So my guest today is Calvin Ui. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. How's your day been so far? Uh, it's been a media frenzy. Uh, we just finished a uh, interview with Vincetra before this, so it's definitely fun to see how much media's in Vietnam right now. It's definitely different than what it was ten years ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to be here, and finally we have time to sit down together. Yeah, I was going to say so. Calvin has been the hardest person to get a time to sit down and have an interview with. I've actually been trying to get Calvin on the show since season one. We've had a couple of scheduled interviews and things haven't gone on both of our parts. It's really difficult. He's a very busy man. I'm quite busy as well. So I'm, I'm glad that we finally get to sit down. Sure, this sure. Conversation. And it's interesting what you see. The media scene in Saigon has really, like, you know. Developed. Developed, yeah. And yeah. it's good to see. And there's a, food and beverage is a big part of that as well, right? Definitely, definitely. I think uh, the number of restaurants over the last 10 years has increased incrementally. Um, you know, Vietnam is still young on the food map in Southeast Asia, but uh, the cost to uh, create a restaurant here is a lot less than um, a lot of restaurants uh, elsewhere. And I think that uh, young entrepreneurs, uh, young individuals who, uh, you know, they have something to say, they have uh, something that they want to share with the uh, restaurant world. Um, they're coming out with uh, pop-ups and they're coming out with uh, restaurants on all different scales. And it's a really exciting time to be in Saigon right now. So mm. re- really excited to um, be part of uh, this big push uh, when it comes to F&B. And you were in early in the scene, right? And that's something we've talked about this on the podcast, not just in terms of F&B, in terms of comedy, the arts, creative scene. Saigon is such a new kind of fresh canvas for many of the different kind of scenes so it's good that you can get in early and you can do a lot right that you maybe couldn't do in different cities yeah 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 yeah. i mean i think for the most part the uh young saigonese they're really open to seeing what we have to come up with and it's really exciting to see them uh come and enjoy and experience uh just the arts on all different scales, whether you talk about fashion, you talk about filmmaking, uh, you're talking about a comedy that you mentioned earlier, uh, even restaurants. You know, it, it's really uh, a city that opens its arms and accepts all of us in. Mm. And it's, that's really cool. And what um, the feedback that I've always been given is that the creative scene, and I think it's the same in the food and beverage scene because I've seen it. They all support each other, right? There's obviously some competition, but it's not 
more of a friendly competition and everyone will help bring each other up. I, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, the city is only so big and we're all uh, as individuals and art, as artists trying to make people happy. And there's no time for um, individuals who, or there's just no time for any of that hatred. You know, we're all here to work together and help one another. And I think that um, in this day and age, in 2019, we're definitely able to do that. Mm. And I have to give a shout out as well. We're talking about the different scenes. The podcasting scene has exploded this year in Saigon. So. I started in May and I looked about the scene and there was um, the Saigonia podcast. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, there was the Sexy Meat Talks mm-hmm. podcast, which mm-hmm. is Mark Gustafsson from Via Craft and Uu along with Josh. And then from then, there's a new one just started, which, oh, it's terrible. The name's escaping me. But that's, again, that's interviewing creative people. And then there's another one from Dana Drehos, who I've had some uh, dealings with, and she's an awesome person. She's doing one called Creatives in Saigon and specifically interviewing creative people who sure. are heading to Saigon. Sure. So it's like gone from, when I, before I started, I only saw one other podcast, and then now there's four or five, and I'm sure there's more coming. Oh, the Bureau podcast as well. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And they're specifically for food and beverage. Yeah, yeah, so Matt like, and Mike. Yeah, Matt and Mike and yeah. Mel, yeah, so I listen to that regularly. Yeah. What drove you to make podcasts? Um, Oldham. Boredom is good. <laughs> um, no, so I was a big, just like we were saying before we started recording, I was a big podcast fan. Really loved the medium. You can just put it in and do the dishes, be in the gym, be driving. And so I was actually doing the dishes one day and uh, I have Sundays off and my wife is working and I needed something to do. And I was like, start a podcast. That seems easy. And then the name, Seven Million Bikes, came to me. And I was like, all right, I'll buy a microphone. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Lewis, who I always give massive credit to, I said, do you want to fancy making some music for my like, theme music? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. He's a music producer. And then nothing came of it, nothing came of it. And I was about, and I'd already recorded a couple of episodes and I was about to try and find some royalty-free music just to sure, sure, put on there. And sure. then suddenly I got a message from him saying, how does this sound? One listen, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And Has it changed your life, being a podcaster? Uh, I guess so, yeah. How so? I, I think... Um, Friendships, for one. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things. Um, I've just been interviewed on another podcast called The Blue Expat, which is actually predominantly interviewing Vietnamese people, but they do interview some English-speaking people, and they interviewed me. And I said, you know, for most of the guests I've had on my show, I've I've become pretty good friends with them afterwards, which has been amazing. Most of them I don't know before, or even like yourself, you know, I, I know of you, or we have interactions, we're friendly with each other, but... Sure. We don't have a chance to sit down and, you know, talk to each other. No. We really just talk. And Lewis and Kim, who were one of the first episodes, are two of my closest friends here. And the stories that I shared with them on the podcast, I never knew about them. Sure. They were so funny and so interesting. So that, for me, has been good. And then just, you know, it's just been a really good buzz. There's been good interactions, meeting people, things like that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you, not me. This isn't a podcast about me. Oh, I was trying to flip it around. I know, I saw talk that. About I you. saw that. I'm going to flip it back. <laughs> so, Calvin, the first memories I have of you was I was doing teacher training, uh, doing the CELTA, just off of Boy Vienna on Wing Kuchin. Yeah. And my memories of you are walking by Sancho's and you just kind of yelling at somebody in Vietnamese. And like many people, when they come here at first, you're like, why is that guy yelling at somebody? Why is he so angry? Sure. And then you realize that 
Vietnamese people. And when you speak in Vietnamese, it sounds, it sounds like Lucy and Desi arguing with one another. But in true actuality, uh, I'm a very nice guy. Yeah. I probably never yell at anybody. And then obviously then you realize, oh, he's not just some crazy guy in the street yelling at someone. He's just talking to someone and having yeah. a conversation. But I always used to love going to Sancho's. Um, you were always very generous with oh, thank the you. shots of tequila. Thank and you, thank food you. was always good. So you used to be, were you the chef or the owner? of? Sancho's? I was the chef and owner mm. of uh, Sancho's and way back then. Mm. And, um, you know, we were looking to create a very, you know, just a dive bar atmosphere that served good Mexican food. Mm. And uh, three years of owning that place, we uh, moved on from there. Um, I think in 20, it'll be like early 2018, no, 2017 was when we, uh, we moved on. And then we opened up uh, El Camino. And I was away from the kitchen for quite a while when I was at Sancho's. And I really wanted to get back into the kitchen and create something that, you know, it was a little bit against the grain. It was a little bit, um, it was definitely different. Uh, we took approach and we made uh, a Korean-Mexican fusion. We did so in a, in a space that used to be a storage room. So, um we, my, my wife and I created El Camino and we wanted a place, you know, one, one of our key principles for any restaurants that or bars that we open is we want something that is non-pretentious. We want something that is uh, definitely new. And again, I use that term going against the grain uh, very often in, in, my, in my cooking and, and what we do, but we wanted something that was for the Saigonese. People who brave the traffic, they brave the uh, air quality, they brave all these things. And I wanted to do something that was special for them. I wanted friends and family to come into town and say, hey, I have a place to take you. It's called El Camino. They do this crazy rendition of uh, Mexican-Korean fusion tacos. And I wanted the I wanted the guests to go back to their hometowns and say, you know what? We just had this, you know, ex incredible experience and it was in Saigon and no one would believe them because well, who would ever think that there would be a Mexican Korean taco place in Saigon. <laughs> and has a, do you see on the TripAdvisor reviews, have you achieved that, that goal? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate and pretty lucky in TripAdvisor. Um, so we're number one right now under Mexican food. And it's so crazy because what I do is completely opposite of Mexican food. Uh, shots out to those who do authentic Mexican food here in Saigon. But it was just never my, we never set out to do something really authentic. We always wanted to do something that was us, that was very LA-esque, uh, where I'm from. It was just a hodgepodge of all these different types of cuisines mixed together into one restaurant. And El Camino is just not just a restaurant. It's, it's almost like a lifestyle. It's, it's how we live. It's, it's treating others fairly and it's treating others with uh, respect and giving out a product that we really firmly, really believe in and doing it at a price point that allows everybody to come in and enjoy what we what we offer. 
Well, you know, I'm not just saying this because uh, you're sitting in front of me. You know, I'm a pretty regular customer at El Camino. You've done an amazing job. The food there is uh, incredible. What made you choose then Mexican and Korean food? Yes, that's always a funny story. So I think every chef is classically trained in French cuisine. And I was that uh, a long time ago. And um, I've worked my ways through San Francisco's kitchens. And there was one restaurant that I was working at. And uh, I used to make their master stock. And, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, big vat of oxtail. And we would make their stocks uh, every week. And it was my job as chef to create a staff meal. So... There are some days that I would try to create some really extravagant things for the kitchen and the front of the house staff. But the one thing that all the staff always loved was my oxtail tacos. And it had a lot of uh, deep flavors of pho in there. Um, so that's just how I do my beef stock. And I remember one day, this is like 2004, 2005. Uh, it was my, I had to cook something and I was kind of behind the ball. So I took all the oxtail meat um, and I just made a little taco stand for all the staff. And lo and behold, they ate every last morsel. And my chef kind of jokingly said to me, he said, you know, I think one day you're going to open up a taco shop. I said, no way, dude. I worked too hard to, uh, you know, be good at what I do. And, you know, I, 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 I'm doing this French California cuisine where it's like, you know, French techniques, but California seasonal ingredients. And back then that wasn't even a term. And he's like, no, I, I really think that one day you're going to open a taco shop. I just kind of put it behind me. I guess you fast forward, you know, 15 years or 13 years, whatever. And here I am making tacos for everybody. So I think it's, I, I think it's kind of one of those cool things where you just, I just cook food that I enjoy cooking. I cook food that I, I want customers to appreciate. And I'm not, I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea. I, I definitely use flavors that, you know, not everybody is accustomed to. But at the end of the day, I put my heart, you know, on that menu and I work and I really try to create something that um, people can enjoy. You know, they get off their phones, they get off Instagram and they just focus on the food in front of them. And hopefully some people enjoy it. And Is that why El Camino is so dark so people can't use Instagram? Anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's exactly the reason. So during two years ago, that whole Instagram phase was going around with you know, the hashtag InstaFood. And my wife and I were like, if they spend all that time taking photos, that food's going to get cold. And that food's not going to be good. And they're going to complain. So we purposely used Edison bulbs. We purposely made it so dark that the photos come out so wow. ugly. So, uh, well, I got bad news for you. Yesterday, I saw a commercial for the Pixel 4, which can take pictures in almost complete darkness. It can take a picture of the night sky and capture the stars. Is that something? So, once that hits the 
It's the, market. the streets, the market. Uh, you're going to have to think because all you have to do is just dine f- in the dark. Yeah, well, in the well, dark. yeah we, we, we definitely wanted our place to be uh, a joint where just people talked over good food. Mm. It's a good hangout spot. I like it. It's like a, well, you said to me, I think before you even opened it, it was going to be like a speakeasy. It's like a speakeasy is, style. Through somewhere else. Yeah, you, you, you go through somebody else's bar and then you go through a secret glass door. You turn left. And for those who've been there, uh, there's only one signage, and you have to get inside to actually see the signage. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. The first time I went, I honestly, I think I knocked the door. <laughs> because you said it was a speakeasy, and yeah. it looks like a speakeasy door. And was, we were kind of, like, confused. You're like, where do you go? Yeah. It's like, do we knock the door? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. And then you walk in, and you're, like, waiting for us right there. And yeah. You're yeah, the front of the house. You're right there in the kitchen, which is always good when you walk in. Sure. It, it definitely is an experience. You know, we, we definitely wanted people to look differently at what food could be and what restaurants could be. And uh, we try our best to always ask ourselves that exact same question. You know, what do we want to be known for? What's our message? And we always try to keep pushing ahead. So what's the worst complaint you've had or the most ridiculous TripAdvisor review or review that you've seen? Uh, Yeah, so... We gotten like two bad reviews, two one star reviews. But I take I take them really with the grain of salt. I I, I listen and I, I I read out read what they're saying, which we always try to create something uh, better from that. So the f- one review that I was really really it was unjustifiable was a review that said it was too busy. They had to wait 20 minutes for food, and I think it was just, like, the fact that it was just so hard to find. And I was just like, yeah, you know, great TripAdvisor, because they let the restaurateurs have the last, the last say. So we definitely get a chance to speak our minds. So I, I wrote probably a dissertation and said, you know, I apologize that it took 20 minutes you little punk ass bitch. You didn't say that. I right? did. Y- y'all can read it if if you're not your advisor. We're gonna find it. We're gonna put it in the show notes. Will you please? Yeah. So I just said, you know, I'm I'm sorry it took 20 minutes. I'm sorry that you couldn't you couldn't find a seat because we only have 38 seats. Just I, I just said I'm sorry, but I said it. I made sure that people knew that. Hey, good food takes time, and there's no reason why you should. Uh, go to a restaurant and rush anything. It's it's an experience. You should go and have a drink and look around and smell and do whatever you need to do. But rushing is the last thing you want to do when you dine out. And I find that I think the trend these days of restaurants or of customers coming in and demanding certain things you know, you, you come into my house. I'm trying to feed you with everything I got. Why don't you try to just take it on and try to understand and appreciate what you're experiencing versus, hey, this isn't authentic. And then I asked them, well, what is authentic? And they showed me a picture of Taco Bell. So uh, you know who you are, you little <laughs> punk ass bitch. <laughs> But this, this boy just saying that it ties in, and I 
sound like this the oldest man in the world, right? But like this is this is like the generation nowadays. This is the expectation. We again, I don't want to reference all previous episodes, but we've talked about like Tinder and how you know dating has become so disposable for people, and um, with Uber Eats and Grab Food and you know everything's faster, quicker. That ties into someone complaining about waiting twenty minutes. Like yeah, and we're, 20... and we're and we're busy, and and you know what? That's what happens when you're at a busy restaurant. <laughs> You, wait 20 you guys minutes. have awesome drinks. You can sit down, have a beer, have a chat. Like, sure. There's no rush to have like your food in front of you. Yeah, I, I, I think it's TripAdvisor is great, but when individuals uh, become keyboard warriors, it really affects our livelihood. Mm. You know, we put a lot of money and time and ourselves into uh, these businesses, these restaurants, and to judge so quickly. Remember, the menu comes out, you get to read through the whole menu, no one rushes you, and you choose the items that you think are best suitable for you. The food comes out, and whether you like it or not, I think you should go in with an open mind. If you didn't like the food, tell somebody. I spend half my time in the dining room going from table to table to make sure that everybody has a good time. And if they don't, hey, I'd be happy to comp it. But you got to tell me instead of going online and doing so. Um, and, you know, people have, have their opinions. When I had my restaurants in San Francisco, even though when I, got, when I got reviewed by the SF Chronicle, they still came three times. And they ordered... They would always come with a partner. They would always order two different things. And the, the person who is critiquing your food, critiquing your service and everything about it, they have done this all their lives. When you work at that level as a food writer, I think you go, you go into a business and go into a restaurant and you really want the chef to tell his or her story. Uh, instead of coming there and having predisposed ideas of what food could be or should be. And then when it doesn't come out to what you think it is, you write that review. And I can speak, to, uh, I can speak for a lot of the restaurateurs and chefs in town. You know, if you don't like it, don't come. I, I go to a lot of restaurants, and if I don't like it, I just don't go there ever again. I think that's the easiest way of dealing with it but if you go somewhere and you have a hair in your food or you your steak was overcooked or chicken was a little bit pink around the edges whatever it is there's a manager on duty social media makes it so easy to reach out everybody knows who the chef is at these restaurants everybody knows who the, who the owners are if you just write a letter to us and say hey yo i didn't like what you were cooking uh, I'm sure one of us, actually all of us, will come back and say, hey, I'm really, I'm really sorry you didn't have a great meal. Kitchens have bad days. They have good days. One, maybe that was one of our bad days. How about we try to make this wrong or right? How about we bring you over and I'll personally cook the meal for you. Maybe just maybe I can change your uh, viewpoint on how this food is. And we can make we can be friends about it. Yeah, just 
I don't understand the whole rush to the keyboard kind of thing. Like, because I've had it before where something's maybe not been right. Mm. You, exactly what you're saying. You bring it to someone's attention, you chat to them, and it will be sorted, mm. and you leave on a high, and you will come back, you know? I'm going to sound like an old man right now also. <laughs> but, you know, my parents taught me to... They taught me manners. And one of the things they taught me was, if you have something to say, say it in somebody's face. Don't do it behind their back. Which is what online reviews are. That's what they are. Yeah. And some people find that they get, they get listened to on these platforms and they feel important. But in reality, you punk ass bitch. <laughs> I do like that on foodies in Saigon, they, the rule is that you have to bring it up with the restaurant yeah, before yeah. you post it on there, which I doesn't agree. always happen, but it, it, more often than not, I think. If um, you have something to say, Listen, we're, we're here to, to listen to you. I have a funny counter story to that, right? Okay. I used to live in Wellington in New Zealand, and there's a, a burger place there, a burger van called Ekum. I'm going to call them out because it was on the national news, right? And their burgers were fantastic, like some of the best burgers you've ever tried in your life, all these different types. Unbelievable, right? So the owner, name's Mike. The name Ekum is Mike backwards. Oh, this hey. This is all public, so I'm not, I'm not naming and shaming anyone. Someone sent him a nice message on Facebook, not publicly, mm-hmm. saying, yes. hey, my, we were in your restaurant. It was a, he, the, the, the screenshot of the message was shared. It was super nice. Hey, just letting you know, my kid got, maybe got food poisoning. They've been sick. The rest of our party were fine. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Sure. We think it might have come from your restaurant. Sure. Oh, my goodness. He, I think, was wasted he was, that night. It was like a Saturday night, and he went on this rant Facebook calling out basically like every category of his customers apart from like hipsters it was like the businessmen that come in the mum with the kids like this that and the next thing like just this vitriolic rant because he's like this one woman said she got food poisoning here blah 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 and so it blew up i remember waking up on like a sunday morning all over my news feed what's happened you find that you find the source of the story and blah 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 makes the national news they're interviewing him not re- repentant like at all didn't take the chance to take it back you know and say oh you know i was having a bad day just keeps going at it and he owned it he owned it and i'm not kidding we never went back yeah because of that because he was just such a dick we were like okay we're not gonna go back there like that was terrible we just basically like sabotaged his own restaurant which was still to this day if you go to wellington actually do go and try eckenburger because it's insanely good for the guy you know you look at you look at sports athletes and you know, they are, they are the magnifying glass is on them 24 seven baseball because uh, the world series in America just finished. It's so it's really tough when you're a chef or you're a restaurateur because all eyes are on you. And you have a, plenty of friends who support you, support what you do. But then they, there are individuals out there who they, f- they really want to just tear you down. So imagine a year, there's 365 days. I try to stay open 330 days of the year. And every single thing that I put out with these two hands, my hands are up right now for those on the podcast. <laughs> Um, I, I'm getting judged upon that every single day. 
And not everybody's palate is the same. I don't have the same palate as you or, or anybody else. But that's what makes us different. I think that people don't enjoy dining out anymore. I think the, dining, the, the going out dining scene has become something that individuals look at and say, oh, I got to get on my bike. I got to get in a car. I got to go and eat. Talk to people, yeah, you can do it on an app and it shows up at your door. I'm yeah, sorry, you know, w- when I was young, I had to get three A's that's 50%. I had to get three A's on my report card that comes out every uh semester just to get taken to you know the local Sizzler. I don't even have Sizzler back home, but Sizzler's not that good. <laughs> um, and we used to enjoy every single minute. Of, of, of going out because we would put our best, our best clothes on. It meant we didn't have to eat Vietnamese food that night. It meant we didn't have to do dishes. It meant I could eat uh, honey mustard, uh, you know, in, in the 80s because honey mustard was so cool. And these days, people want what they want now. You're so old. How old are you? 41 now. You're 41, yeah, I'm 37. We're just like that now. We're, yeah. We've returned that corner now sure. where we just like we think misty-eyed about the good old days and anyone listening to this that's under 30 is just like, shut up, couple of old men. I'm going to get some crab food right now. Yeah. So let's let's move away from the restaurant. Sure, sure, sure. Um, let's talk about your background. So you're VQ. Yes, I am. You were born in California. Your parents are from Vietnam. Yes. How did they end up then or how did you end up in California, I guess? Uh, you know, my parents were broke people. They went over in 75. And uh, how I came about was probably a good six-pack and a little bit of loving. No. Uh, my, my, my parents had me in the late 70s, and we grew up in a small city called Huntington Beach in Southern California. They call it Surf City, USA. And, you know, me growing up, it was great. America was a really cool spot. You know, we grew up a few blocks from the beach. So there was lots of bonfires at night, a lot of barbecues in our, in, in our backyard. Uh, we had a little neighborhood gang and we traded baseball cards, read comics, things that probably no one does anymore. And um, I didn't start my career in, in the culinary field. I was actually a Wall Street banker. And I did that for a number of years. When 9-11 happened, I moved out of New York and back to California. And instead of going back to Huntington Beach this time around, I moved to San Francisco. And I think in 03, I started my culinary uh, education. And I've been hitting the kitchen ever since then. And did you learn cooking from your parents? No, my mom's a horrible cook. I think uh, a story that I, I, I tell a lot of the media is I used to love spaghetti and meatballs. That was like my jam back back then. And one day, my mom didn't have any tomato tomatoes in the house. There's no tin tomatoes. There's no tomato paste. There's just ketchup. So my mom made uh, spaghetti out of ketchup. And she put it in front of me, and I, it looked like spaghetti. It smelled kind of sweeter, but it smelled like spaghetti. And so I took a big mouthful of that. And, you know, she thought nothing of it. She thought ketchup is made of tomatoes, so what's wrong with you? 
And uh, when I when I ate it, <laughs> and I had to finish it because you know I think it was eighty three. No one didn't finish their food. If you didn't finish it that night, it would go into a box, like an old margarine box, and it'll go in the fridge, and it'll be served to you tomorrow. And if you didn't finish it then, I promise you the next day, you would have it the next day. <laughs> and she would somehow find a way to put it into other foods and surprise you because spaghetti with ketchup is there. So uh, ever since then, and the, the joke around, around the house is, you know, when the holidays come around, I cook everything. And I always say, you know, I don't want you making ketchup <laughs> spaghetti anymore. I don't trust you. <laughs> That's awesome. And so your parents, did they talk much about coming from Vietnam, moving over? No, no, no. My, my, my parents would, wouldn't speak a, a lick of Vietnamese to me growing up. No. And I think that's why my, my accent to this day is so, so hereditary bad. It's just horrible. Um, I didn't learn any Vietnamese until I got to Vietnam 10 years ago. And I learned Vietnamese like everybody else does. I learned Vietnamese by watching television. And, uh, you know... You put on TV and they're, they're acting and they have a certain uh, way of speaking on television. And I find that my Vietnamese sounds like theirs. <laughs> so they always say that I'm overdramatic when I speak Vietnamese. Well, that ties into what I said about the first time I That's saw right. you in Vietnam. That's right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a Wall Street banker? Oh, it sounds really cool, but I was just no, doing more expensive. It does. Um, I, 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 was, I did what I did. I loved what I, I was doing. I was doing mortgage-backed securities, and I was good at what I was doing. And at 23, I sold my first company, and I did a little traveling. And when I came back... Um, I, I would dine out a lot in San Francisco. It, it was, or even New York and LA. It's, it's just a lot of people buy nice cars. They buy nice watches. I just buy food. And I remember sitting in a restaurant, probably 2002. And it was a restaurant called Town's End in San Francisco. Hopefully you're still around. Shout out to Town's End. And I was, you know... I would frequent there and the maitre d' would come out and they would say, hi, Calvin. Somebody would come out and say, I have this new wine. It's really good. The chef would send out like an intermiso dish. And I was like, oh, restaurants seem so cool. And this is the time that Food Network was coming about. So there was Emeril Lagasse, Bobby Flay. um, There was Rachel Ray. And I remember sitting there and I looked into the kitchen and there was this French chef in his whites. He had his brigade. And I thought to myself, man, if, if it's this cool sitting at a restaurant on this side, imagine how cool it is to be in there. Little did I know <laughs> that the restaurant world is so painfully, it's so painful. And when I first started my first restaurant gig and I was just like in there chopping vegetables and peeling potatoes, I kept looking for that French chef. It wasn't Townsend, it was another restaurant, but I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to have this French chef and he's going to be named Pierre and he's going to love me and fucking he's going to take me to France and he's going to show me fucking all these sauces and I'm going to become his top chef. 
And no, my, my, my first chef was named Jose. And not to be, you know, racist, but his name was Jose. He was Mexican. And he taught me so much uh, of how to be just clean and be tight. And he used to say something to me. If you can lean, you can clean. And I'll and ever since then, I every time I had like two minutes, I would just like wipe something down. So um but he was he he was my first chef and uh we didn't wear any nice whites. I think I wore like an extra, extra large because that was all that was in the laundry basket. People in the restaurant world know that that's just all a show. And that the real reality of it is it takes so much heart to um to do what we do and to have you know just try to make people happy it's, mm. it's definitely it's definitely an orchestra what's been your biggest challenge uh i think the biggest challenge to me has been trying to find my own voice in the, co- the culinary world uh cooking something that was that was near and dear to me, something that I really believed in, something that was different than what the trend was going right now. Um, the hardest thing for me was to do less to my food and to simplify uh, what we do and really find quality ingredients. I think anybody can mask stuff with salt and, and sauces, but... MSG. Yeah, but you try to do something without that the, the 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 those those masks, and you'll realize that cooking is hard. Well, I want to get your opinion on this. Someone said to me recently that the best Vietnamese food in the world is in London, and I looked at him and I went, "What? What are you talking about? We live in Saigon. The best Vietnamese food is surely here." And he went, "No, because the freshest ingredients and the best ingredients are in London." So he was like, "Adam, like the best Vietnamese food." in London. What's your opinion on that? All right. So for those who know me back in the SF days, they know that I started my career at a restaurant called Slanted Door. Slanted Door is pretty much the godfather epicenter of what Vietnamese farm to table seasonal is all about. I mean, Charles Ban, uh, my chef, has really helped mold me in my career. He's the one who told me, he said, hey, you're going to own a taco shop one day. I just said, hey, man, dude, come on. Um, and you know, he took farm to table, he took Vietnamese recipes, he used the best ingredients he possibly could find from the farmer's market, from the, uh, the beef purveyors, everybody, just seafood purveyors. He created what I think Vietnamese elevated could be, but what is the best, right? And so everybody has different palates. I like to eat food that's more rustic. I like to eat food that's more regional. I like to eat foods that there's a story behind it. So uh, is Vietnamese food overseas better because of the ingredients? I think ingredients do play a big part, but it it's up to the chef and his, his or her team to create something phenomenal. So I grew up, well, I grew up, I was taught from Charles and my, my years at Slandor to take 
basic ingredients and making them, making them the very best. That's my style of cooking. That's how I cook. That's how I've always cooked. I just take the, the, the most simplest things and I tried my best to do something to them to make it good. But if you're using, you know, Wagyu or you're using foie gras or you're using all these ingredients that are not native to Vietnam, it's hard to call it Vietnamese food. So I'm sure what they're doing in London uh, with Vietnamese food is extraordinary. Um, but if they had to buy uh, ingredients the way we buy ingredients from the, from the markets, from our purveyors, I'm sure they'll have a hard time. But hey, to each their own, again, you got to put your heart out there. You got to put yourself out there and you got to make people happy. So, and food safety is obviously a big concern in Vietnam and where you get your ingredients of course. from. So, what where do you get your ingredients from? So, I've been buying from a local market here in Saigon in D1. Um, and I've been buying from the same woman for the last like seven years. So, I remember before she was pregnant, when she just got married. And then I remember when she got pregnant. I remember when her baby came out. I remember holding her baby. I remember her baby going to school, and now her child is like six. And it's so great to see um, just that family. And, and, and I still go every morning to the markets with my little red basket and a coffee in hand, and I buy all my veg for the day. So a lot of the veg coming into Saigon these days, most of it's from Dalat. And that's all we buy. I don't care what the price point is. I buy Dalat because I know the farmers are growing, you know, locally. Not hyper-local, but local enough. But because there's such a huge demand and there's so many people here in Saigon, they start to import stuff from China. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just that I prefer to buy my vegetables locally. Um, uh, we still get our meats uh, from Australia, and we, I know a chicken lady in D4 who sells me really good quality chicken, and then all the pork products come from my wife's, uh, her family's farm. I know that recently there's been a big outbreak of African swine flu, and that's a big thing that a lot of us don't take for granted. But, you know, I mean, good restaurants. They source well, and, you know, a lot of you guys always look for that cheaper price item. And you know what? Cheaper doesn't mean better. I, I, I run a business. I, I, I'm a businessman. I got to make sure that what I buy in is of good quality, and I need to still make money. So we're in a race now where there are new restaurants popping up Every day. I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday. But the amount of people is not increasing. And so a lot of restaurants now open. And, you know, props to them. But they're not thinking about what's going to happen in six months. They're trying to cut their pricing to get market share. But the all honesty is 
no one works for free. I don't. Now you don't work for free either. And I'm sure nobody works for free. So support your small businesses. Support what we do. You know, if it costs some money, you know, no one's forcing you to come to our restaurants. The, the menu states the price. But don't come in and then say, oh, well, so-and-so does it cheaper. Well, is so-and-so going to be around in six months, a year's time? Well, Saigon's famous for that, for not just food and beverage, from stores just popping up and disappearing, right? Cocktail bars lately have just seemed to spring up and disappear. Yeah, it's the just... only people who make money in this city, <laughs> you can quote me on this, are landlords and contractors. Because the amount of properties that are being flipped and turned and the amount that these landlords want from us to rent their space, it's just, I mean, if you guys knew what we paid for rent, you guys might really give us a break sometimes because we pay rent, we pay utilities, we pay our staff, we pay our purveyors. And if there's any money left at the end of the day, that's what we bring home. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I come out with a fair product. I, I don't think I'm cheap by any means. So I just saw your post yesterday. You put your prices down. Yeah, yeah. I had to put my prices down. The day after I ate there as well, you bastard. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> we were there on Sunday. You're welcome. Good. I, thought it was, I didn't think it was too expensive. Yeah, I, I mean, in this day and age, I think a lot of us have to re-look at our strategy. And um, I was talking to somebody and I said, hey, you know, you create a craft product. And it's so well-priced. And, he, and, you know, he said to me, yeah, I have to. The market is so, it's so competitive now that I need to re-examine what it is that I do. And so for Dos Amigos Taqueria, we did just that. I want to feed people. I want to see plates come back clean. That's the reason why I put in the 70 hours. It's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not about any of that. It's when they walk in and they sit down, did I feed them? Are they happy? And is every last morsel of that plate finished? That drives me. So um, we lowered two items. Our burritos are now 100,000 from 150, and our burrito bowls are 135 from 165. It seems so drastic when I saw you post that. Because I'm not joking, we were there on. Sunday night. Sure. They're not the full price. Sure. Didn't think anything of sure. it. And then I saw your post. I was like, wait, what? That's a massive drop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something we have to do. But luckily for us, we own other businesses that kind of take the hit. We make sure that it goes, that the, the, the hit goes around all three businesses. So we all take a piece of it. But I'd rather feed people than to have somebody tell me, hey, and it happened, hey, I don't want to pay six bucks for a burrito because back home it's six bucks. And is that what was happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had some one person then. I had somebody come in and say, they said, hey, Chipotle is six bucks and so are you. And I said, why should I be any less than Chipotle? Am I giving you a great product? Did you eat every last bite on your plate? Yes, but I think you should charge less. And I said, why, man? Why should I charge less? But this is really about the people. 
uh, going back to why we build restaurants. I hope you didn't just listen to one person. No, we, we, we really thought it out. Yeah, yeah. We want to make sure that people are fed. And if it means that uh, Dos Amigos makes a little bit less, then so be it. I'm not trying to cut the market. I, I, I'm going what I think is an average rate. If you go out and eat, you want to spend 100000 150 would be nice, but let's just say you want to spend 100000 All right. So I now know that there's a threshold for the market. And I guarantee you the price of 100 it won't be there forever. But for the immediate future, if I can make people happy, if I can get people full, then you know what? I hope you guys really take advantage of what we do right now. And when we raise the prices up slightly or back to what the original cost is, I don't want to hear people telling me that, oh, I'm paying more now. Consider this, you know, us being really friendly to the audience, but us also being very fair about um, who we are. So you're going to start seeing that Dos Amigos is going to be a little more self-serve. I'm going to need less staff. And what we do in, in the, by doing so is we're going to lower the prices because my overhead uh, is a little less. So I'm going to pass along the savings to the customer base. So if you come, go to the counter, order, sit down, be a little patient with us, and we're going to try a different approach. We're going to try to do more self-serve restaurants, and we're going to lower the price, but we're going to try to do so uh, with, with everybody's help. We need your help with volume. We need your help with, with being patient. And we need you to tell a friend because that's the only way we're going to be uh, around next year, the following year, and the year after. We need people going out there and enjoying restaurants again. Do you think, I, I've talked about this in terms of beer, do you think one of the challenges in terms of price is because you can go and get a band me for 10000 People know that they can pay that little for this delicious piece of food. Sure. And I think the beer industry has the same challenge that I can go out and buy a Saigon special for 15000 which is fine, or I can spend 150000 for the same size beer. Obviously, the quality is infinitely better, but it does the same job. Do you think because in Vietnam there's such... Uh, difference between prices. I don't think it exists many other places in the world where you can get something so cheap and then the same item so expensive. Is that, is that what's part of the challenge for the pricing? Uh, I'm going to be very straight up right now, and y'all can quote me on this. The days of Vietnam being cheap, they're long gone. You can live a, any lifestyle you want. You can live in Thanh Binh. You can eat banh mi. You can drink uh, Saigon Special. That's on you. That's how you want to live your life. But it cannot, a person's lifestyles or choices cannot um, drive a market. My market that I go after is definitely not those individuals who want to find a cheaper lifestyle. If you guys want quality, you guys should think about the individuals who create it for you to enjoy it because if you don't support it we close our doors down and we go somewhere else and this city is going back right back where it was 10 years ago when there are only five restaurants 
So it's up to the consumer. Start thinking about, do I want this, you know, handcrafted small batch beer, gin, what have you, or burrito or taco? <laughs> um, if everybody is going to live that old lifestyle that I was living 10 years ago, you're going to see all of us packer bags and say, hey, I can go to Seoul, Korea. I can go to Tokyo. I can go to Taiwan. I can do the exact same thing I do here. And make three times as much. And people will appreciate us. So if you don't appreciate craft, if you don't appreciate what you get in Vietnam, somebody else will copy us. But they won't do the exact same level that we can create. Do you think that that needs to be kind of marketed more? The way you're talking there about it being handcrafted, you know, locally sourced i don't see that in the marketing are people scared to do that because it's too hipster it's too cool it's like people are going to be turned off by that like, uh, i think everybody has their own style of marketing mm-hmm. i'm sure you know if you guys follow me i have my i definitely my own style of marketing but i've always been trying i've always been transparent in what we do and we've always tried to serve the very best that we can you know Within a certain price range, I tried my best to create something that was, was good. Um, yeah, you know what? If, if, if consumers who flock to Vietnam think that living here, they can make 2000 a month working and they, don't want, and they want to hoard all that money and they don't want to reinvest it into, the, in, into society, there's, no, there's going to become a day where None of us want to do what we do because we don't have to. We do this for the people. It's not the other way around. I think that a lot of restaurateurs and a lot of people in this industry do not want to say that. But I'll, I'll go on the record and say it. We do this for the people. But if we're not appreciated, I'll close up tomorrow. And, I, I'll, and I'll go somewhere else and I'll reopen and there will be individuals who come and enjoy what we do, what, what I do, what any of us do. Support. Support small businesses. Support uh, what we do. If you want to eat Popeyes, you want to be, eat McDonald's, that's on you. And I, I eat McDonald's all the time, so I'm not going to say yeah. anything bad about them. So I feel like what you're, who you're talking to right now, though, is expat. I'm, t- I'm talking about it to everybody. Yeah, I'm ta- I'm, I mean, expats. I don't know if that applies to Vietnamese. The Vietnamese middle class is growing so fast, and you go to any of these, any like restaurants that are blooming right now in Saigon. What I've and I've talked about this before. What I always think is so refreshing is there's so many Vietnamese people there. It's amazing sure. to see. It's not sure. that stereotype of it's just all wealthy expats there. Yeah. All these Vietnamese people enjoying all this expensive air quotes food, beer, beverages, things like that. Mm. But do you not think that that market is there for that? They want that. The market's there. I mean, a lot of us have a, have a hard time cracking that market. There's a few of us in the in town. Uh, I think Bowsy and what Chris is doing is like tremendous. What Ut Ut and Beer Crafters are doing is tremendous. What Quince and Tomatito and Stoker are doing is tremendous. Octo, Fresh Catch, Coquette. All the people that I'm so close to and who've supported me uh, from my, my early days, you know, we're all trying to break that Vietnamese market. But yeah, you know, if you want to you call it out, expats who come out here, 
I think one of the one of the PPC words that you can buy on Google is cheap Vietnamese lifestyle, and that goes for like a, a good a good amount of money for per click. But why should Vietnam be cheap? Why should what we do uh, be as 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 affordable as gum dump? Because what we do is not gum dump. But this came up in season one. One of my questions I asked was, what's the biggest misconceptions of Vietnam or of Saigon as well? And one of the answers that came back, which I hadn't thought about, was people overseas perceive it to be cheap. People think of conical hat, farmland, sure. war-torn country. People who live here say, like, you know, that's what my friends and family think it's like back home. Yeah. And then they explain, like, oh, no, it's like a big modern city. Agreed. Modernizing. So I think people who are doing that click looking for cheap Vietnam lifestyle, I was probably one of them three years ago when I first came. And I was two, ten years ago. Mm. So I'm not saying that I didn't live that lifestyle. I lived it for so many years because I was so poor for so many years. <laughs> I'm just less poor now. Um, you know, y- you can choose whatever you want to eat and you can choose however you want to live. But if you want, if you want to see what Saigon is in this day and age, go out there. I promise you, when you look at a menu uh, of, say, you know, my favorite restaurant is Quince. Shout out to Julian P. and their old crew out there. If you look at his menu, his starters run 8 to $12. You go to L.A., San Francisco, or New York, a beer is 12 bucks. One of their starters is 18 to 27 Things cost, and we can't, as restaurateurs and chefs, we can't take that out of our pocket. We're trying to give the consumer something that is seriously good. And if you want to support it, if you want to enjoy it, a night out for one person at a really nice restaurant will run you 60, 70 bucks. in and out Burgers was like 45 bucks for me and a few friends not too long ago. Can't be the, the comparison can't be made. Mm. But the, the beauty of Vietnam is that, so Sunday night I went to Dos Amigos, fantastic meal, paid full price. I was okay with that. Glad then, you did. Like, <laughs> you know, today, this morning, I had a ban me, 10,000 dong sure. for breakfast. I'm heading out tonight to Vincan in District 4 on the Seafood Street. You'll eat quite cheaply there. Sure. I love the dichotomy and the diversity of being able to do that. You know what I mean? And I agree. I, 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 I love the fact that I can have a great meal at any time for any price point. I, I, I think that's one of the best things about living in Vietnam is that we're, we have that option. But, but please keep in mind that everybody has to make money. The gum thumb lady is going to raise her prices soon. And don't, don't argue about it. Don't go there and tell people, hey, my gum thumb lady in Funyuan is 17000 and you're 3540 You have a choice to where you want to eat at. Stop yelling and start appreciating what people do. I feel like those TripAdvisor reviews are starting to get, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard being number one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard being number one. <clears throat> right, we're going to move on. We're going to wrap up now because um, I find this, and I've said this before, uh, I feel like the sign of a good podcast episode, for me anyway, is when there's more to talk about. 
and we've been talking for a while now and I feel like we could keep talking for sure, longer and sure. longer so we will have to wrap it up just for that reason but I think that's the sign of a, a good episode so I, we're going to end with the same questions that I ask at the end of every episode in season 2 7 million bikes over 7 million bikes in Saigon uh, what kind of bike do you drive how do you deal with Saigon traffic I drive a Honda Cub um, and how do I deal with the traffic being here for 10 years Traffic wasn't this bad beforehand. I think if you want to live in a big city, traffic is something you deal with. There's no way around it. Um, I think that if everybody just took five fucking minutes and let somebody ahead of them go in, we, would, we wouldn't be in this you know, madness every day. But no, the city is 13 million plus strong right now. When I moved here 10 years ago, it was only 9 million. Yeah. And it only continues to grow. So if you don't like to, uh, if you don't like the traffic, well, then walk. <laughs> walk. You just get hit by the traffic. Yeah. What's the oddest thing you've seen on a bike? Uh, there was one time I saw five monkeys on a bike. <laughs> I love this question. I, I love these answers. No. <laughs> so I think it was it was when I used to own uh Sanchez on Bouyvin and just this guy had five monkeys on his bike. He was driving down and they were all sitting so politely and I it, it was just crazy. Yeah. I saw a great one just yesterday. It was this massive bike was coming behind me? I could hear it. And it overtook me, and it was like almost like a Batmobile bike, like massive big guy with tats on. And he had this dainty little violin on his back. <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. Um, you know, you've got 24 hours off away from the restaurant, nothing to do, 24 hours in Saigon. What do you do with yourself? Um, so I think I start breakfast with something from the, from the central region. I would say Mi Quang. And then... I didn't have any work, huh? I would go to Japantown and do an onsen, because I think that's really cool. Um, I'd get a massage at probably Mew Mew. Uh, I do a great set lunch around town, and there are some extremely good set lunches. Uh, you can follow my food blog, Fucking Deliciousness, for more great tips on where to eat at. But I think my top, you know, five, uh, Fresh Catch has an incredible uh, set lunch. Stoker, Tomatito, Octo. And if I had to choose a fifth uh, set lunch that I eat really often, oh, you know what? There's a spot called Gum Minduk in D1, and they do cafeteria-style Vietnamese food. It's really homey and... It ain't cheap, but it's really good. But that would be, like, my go-to spots for lunch. And then uh, catch a movie, because movies here are insanely cheap for the quality of theaters that you get. Um, I don't know, man. Crack a, bo- crack a bottle of vino. Have some beers. Just enjoy life, but don't do it cheap. Just, don't, just, just spend some money, guys. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. So, you've had your 24 hours off. You're relaxed. You've now got a week to explore all of Vietnam. Where do you go? Uh, so I've been here 10 years, and I've been around to a couple of cool spots. Um, I like to go off the beaten trail. So Ninh Binh was really cool because they have a grilled mountain goat. 
to all the vegans and vegetarians out there, I'm sorry. Um, I enjoy places down south like Rakia and um, Hondao is really nice. A week off, where do I go? I mean, if it was me, I would just stay in Saigon and just eat my brains out. <laughs> That's all I would do. I, I don't need to go see anything. Um, but there's a lot of great, great places in this country. I love Hanoi. I love Da Nang, Nha Trang, Da Lat. I, just, I, love, I love Vietnam. I've, I've been a pro-advocate of Vietnam for so many years, and I still continue to be a pro-advocate of Vietnam. Um, it's a great place to be at. It really has supported my career, and I hope that during the 10 years of being here, I have given back just a little bit uh, because, because Vietnam has given me everything. But what you were saying there, that's, that's a nice sentiment. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Thank you. Tying into all the amazing places that you know in Saigon, do you have a hidden gem that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I think there's one place that really speaks. Um, it speaks wonders. And I think that, you know, they've been around for so long. I really like Secret Garden. Fifth floor walk up. You know, the signage is small. But, you know, what you get when you... Rooftop dining, great food, great pricing, great everything. I think that's a place that I take a lot of my um, my guests who travel through. We eat there, you know, twice a month. But the food's good. No, I think the I'm food's good. There, oh, I need to take uh, I need to take my wife and yeah, for um, our amazingness. And I have to give a shout out to my wife who supports this podcast massively and gives me the time and the space to, to make this. So uh, shout out to Adri Lopez. Um, I'll have to take her out to Secret Garden. Oh, so since we're in the shout out mode. Shout out to my wife too, Jang. Thanks for, thanks for being there and thanks for supporting uh, my crazy dreams, my crazy aspirations. And thank you for putting your, your life aside um, to help me uh, get where I'm at. So, I mean, that phrase, behind every good man is a better woman, like, it's going to be more true. When you, true. when you meet that better woman, you're like, yeah, no, I'd be useless. I'd be hopeless for that long. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. So to wrap up, tell us what's going on with you. What's next? What's exciting? What's happening? Tell everyone. All right. So we just opened up a gin bar called Easy Tiger. And uh, it's at 24 Domu. It's in an alley. There are some female masseuse in the front of the alley. Don't mind them. Uh, we are not a speakeasy because we have a sign. And uh, I want to be very clear about that. We're not a speakeasy. Um, but it's a gin bar. And I currently carry 33 of, uh, I think, the best uh, gins that we have in the market right now in Vietnam. Drink start at 95,000. A GNT is 95. There's no reason not to get drunk. We're, again, going into the market giving the consumer something that's very fair, very fun, and very different. You know, I, w when you walk into Easy Tiger, I hope you can find it. Uh, 24W, go straight down. On the right-hand side, you'll see a metal door. That's where we're at. We'll put the map in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, would you put please? Put a link in there so we yeah, um, can find it. You know, if there's, there's only so many seats. And we're not trying to be uh, a, a, a big bar. 
get a drink at the bar, find a wall to lean on, have a conversation, talk to a stranger, talk to two strangers, get off your phones, and enjoy what we do. And uh, there's a little hot tip on there. Uh, We do truffle popcorn. And uh, I think that's going to entice a lot of people. <laughs> Hopefully it does. So come on down and, and come kick it with us. I'll be in soon for sure. Thank and you. then you said um, El Camino's got its second busting next year. El Camino. Uh, that's crazy. I can't yeah, believe that's se- be se- second, second year. Um, Dos Amigos Taqueria is in Taudian. I think there's going to be a lot of moves from, uh, from our group next year. Um, stay tuned. I, I, I have a few bets on the market on what the next trend is going to be. So we're going to hopefully uh, be first in that and set that trend. And yeah, I think um, next year is going to be really exciting for us because we're going to do something, some really incredible things. I think I've got an idea of what the trend is, but I'm not going to see it on here. Awesome. What a tease. Thank you so much, Calvin. Thank you so much, it's been awesome. It's been worth the wait. As I said in the beginning, we have taken a while to get this together, but I'm glad you've come on and um, been amazing chatting with you. Really good to hear some insights into the industry. I truly hope you don't go anywhere because your food, I'm not just kissing your ass. You know, I think your food's amazing. You do a wonderful job. Um, and I'm definitely, definitely, I'm Scottish, mate. So you put your prices down. I'm coming in more. Oh, tell, tell a friend. Tell a friend is, is all we ask. I was going to say that earlier as well. Something that I, frustrates me often with restaurants, with everything, they'll say, oh, can you leave a review online? And do you know what I will say to them? I say, I'm not going to leave a review sure. online. I just don't do it. I just can never be bothered. But I will tell somebody. And I think but people, people forget about the good old word of mouth. Like, if I have a good time, I'll be messaging my friends. I'll be like, do you know what? I just went to Dos Amigos. It was amazing. I'm yeah. here. That's so much more valuable than just throwing out a review online. That, that's how we, we, we've always worked. You know, we're, we're a small business. We try to touch every, uh, everybody somehow, some way. And, and yeah, people ask for reviews. I never ask for a review. I, I, I honestly, the best thing you can do for me is eat all your food. And, you know, leave a tip for your servers because it's nice to give them a little something, something. But tell a friend, come back. That's all I can ask for. I, I don't need any uh, online reviews. Well, the best thing you could do is get to come on the 7 Million Bike podcast and just promote all your businesses. What is your viewership, man? I heard <laughs> it's like 9 million subscribers. Something like that. We're getting close. We're getting close. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks again. I'll definitely be seeing you around time. Right, cool. I'm going to go eat some cheap food now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast with Calvin. Thank you very much to Calvin for coming on. Great to get an insight again into the food and beverage scene in Saigon. Thank you, as always, to Lewis Wright for composing the theme music and to Lynn Wynn for helping me design the cover art. The podcast that I forgot the name of in the beginning of the episode is called Falling Jackfruit. Apologies to Falling Jackfruit for getting that. They're the newest podcast on the scene. They've just had the second episode come out, so check them out. Thanks for listening. I hope you can check out um, other episodes. If you haven't heard them, you can go to 7millionbikes.com or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you can, please leave a review. Go to Facebook, go to Apple Podcasts, give the Facebook page a like. You can even get us on Instagram, but I'm I'm not so active on Instagram, but go on there and give us a follow as well. So thanks again, and I hope you can tune in for future episodes. Cheers.
I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.